creating cyberspace and welcome to episode 38 of the double density podcast with your hosts Brian and angelo and angelo this week we're not alone we're not we are not alone at all at all uh we are pleased that our first guest ever who is also our third guest ever has decided to join us again so uh a man who needs little introduction a man who has recently launched a podcast named art strange guys a man named rob christopherson is joining us tonight hey rob gentlemen thank you for bringing me on happy new year happy new year absolutely we're we're in 2018 it's already a killer year so far so we'll we'll see where it goes from here it's been a cold year so far right rob oh yeah 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 it's also i think i agree with rob it's a very weird year in that i found out someone i used to go to school with got arrested for making crank so uh yeah it's it's a pretty weird week for me already 2018 yeah that that is uh definitely a weird way to kick it off you know <laughs> thankfully it's not someone that like i'm f- like friends with at all so it's not like i'm making crank right i guess um if you want to play the six degrees from kevin bacon <laughs> kind of game it, it could it could find its way to you easily brian <laughs> you're, you're you're crank adjacent <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a meth kingpin, everyone. Uh, so super serious question to begin things. Uh, when do you stop wishing people a happy new year? Like, what's your personal policy on that? Who? Um, I I, w- I want to say it's kind of like I kind of have the same policy for when you take down the lights, and that's like the day after Christmas. So like day after New Year's, that's it. That is it. So January second, you're calling it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can I can respect that. Angela, what about you? Um, usually June. <laughs> I haven't seen the person yet. No, I guess like uh, I'm a, bit, a little more uh, lenient than Rob on this. I guess like first week or so January. I think you kind of said it jokingly, Brian. But yeah, yeah. I usually do the fifteenth. By the fifteenth, it's over. Okay, so you're we're still in that frame for you. Yeah, I mean I haven't seen everyone at all times like since New Year's, right? So I'm I'm willing to extend it for some people. So you don't automatically imply that uh, they automatically think that you already wish them a happy new year, even though you haven't said it. Like it's implied. Yeah, but I like to like I like to state it as a fact just to make sure that the air is clear. Okay. In case someone passive aggressively is like, "You didn't wish me happy new year." Yeah. Okay. All right. I understand. Because I know a lot of jerks, and uh, (laughs) some of them I co-host podcasts with. Others I I know on the street. So I just want to make sure that we're clear. (laughs) And, and in case you haven't guessed that we've changed our format, it's all about greetings now, this podcast. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's semiotics, how we understand how each other talks to each other. Oh, sweet. That wasn't even good English, so whatever. I mean, if if Alan Alda can write a book about it, you, you guys can have a podcast about <laughs> what it. What a reference. <laughs> oh, taking a deep, deep inside baseball here, Rob. This is why we love to have you on. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> So since the last time we had you on, you have launched a, a little project. and Or I, I don't want to say little in a blilling sense. I just meant more in terms of like it's nascent, it's beginning. So why don't you tell us a bit about our Strange Skies? So yeah, we just launched the first episode uh, last week. And uh, it's, it's basically a run through of the basic concepts of uh, the UFO phenomenon and, and other aspects of it that relate to it but uh we're off to a good start and um uh next episode's gonna be in february early february and uh we're gonna be getting into the old timey ufo sightings before before we had roswell as our battle cry 
that so many people <laughs> use and have have tired to this point but uh yeah it's 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 been a great start a uh, lot of great traction uh to start with so that's what we need that's that's why this year is off to a good start already well you are quite the ufo expert you've uh you you help people out people come to you for question for answers when we have questions about our uh, ufo topics we talk about and one of the things we like to ask people when they show up on uh, Double Density for our tech section, and uh, we've kind of asked you this previously when you are last on about your setup, but now that you've actually gotten into the swing of things, have you changed anything? Are you happy with everything? Is there something you're kind of like wishing for? The biggest thing that I took away from even recording that first episode, when you are literally sitting in front of a microphone by yourself... Time is so on your side, it's unbelievable. Like, you can literally slow down. And you, you can't, you don't have room to panic. Like, it's so, it's such a big space. That is the one thing that I've taken away uh, so far. Uh, in terms of the tech setup and everything, I'm pretty happy with what I got going so far. I'm sure, you know, down the line, I'm going to be like, okay. I need to uh, improve sound quality or or improve something, but to to start off, I'm I'm uh, pretty happy with uh, with what I got right now. Well, having listened to the the first episode and uh, your trailers and stuff, your sound quality is pretty much spot on. I I don't see uh, much of a difference or any difference with any of like the quote unquote professional podcasts. You sound really great, apart from having like those NPR jingles and. Uh, all the producers and stuff on it, but uh, you, you sound great. Uh, you have a great delivery and everything's sounding good. I mean, obviously, you're eventually going to want to move to a Mac because that's where, where, <laughs> where that's all the, that best stuff is. But for uh -huh. now, I'm sure you're doing Should have seen that one coming. Did not. <laughs> well, you know, I, I just want to update all your listeners right now since the last you know last time I was on this podcast I still have not taken the blood oath to Apple and <laughs> I don't see it happening anytime soon but you know what you, you never know Angelo might wear me down but I doubt it you know <laughs> we'll see a Angelo this is what we'll do we'll just start sending him the pamphlets I have his address we'll just slowly but surely send him literature <laughs> <laughs> And I'll just start taking pictures of the Apple store I walk by every day. <laughs> there we go. It's so, we're slowly forming this whole united front of Appleness so that Rob gets worn down. I'm random. I'm fortunate in that the closest Apple store I think to me is probably about four hours away. So, so like Montreal. <laughs> actually, actually it might be Montreal. Four, yeah. It's four hours either way because I think there's one in Syracuse too. Okay. There you go. <laughs> If you want, Angelo can arrange quite the tour for you if you decide to come up. Yeah, here are the Macs, here are the phones. Yeah, he'll give me like, you know, like the employee tour of the Apple store, I would imagine. <laughs> I don't work there. Wait, no, not, come on. Well, don't tell me you officially. don't moonlight, you know, at the Apple store sometimes and, you know, at least <laughs> pretend to work there. Come on. I show up with my Apple t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> wondering, who's this like older genius? He's weird. So Rob, I gotta ask, listening uh, to the first episode slash, I guess it's like the, the point five, right? So the trailer-ish episode or the intro episode. Yeah. Uh, where did you come up with the tagline, don't like the UFO? Well, I was running down all these things that you don't experience when you look at a UFO. Like, 
you really a UFO is something you experience with basically one out of, you know, five of your senses. So uh I was just running them down and I'm like, okay, let's throw in a joke here and 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 uh yeah, I I basically just say don't lick the UFO. You have no idea where that thing's been. And to this point, I have gotten so much blowback about that <laughs> that people are telling me, uh, no, I'm going to lick the UFO. I'm going to lick the UFO. It's gotten to the point where somebody, uh, a guy uh, named Paul Mellish, he's a, he's, a, he's a great listener, he tweeted me this morning a link to this product in Japan, and it's called a UFO, and you basically rub it all over your face. It's some kind of like cosmetic product or something like that. I don't, I don't exactly know. But uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I've gotten a lot of blowback over that. <laughs> I I I had a really good laugh when I actually heard you say it, and I I actually remember driving down the street hearing that and uh, kind Thinking of like, about UFOs. <laughs> yeah, I, just looking around. I you know my UFO hotspot. Do you, place do you get in the car with your kids and drive around looking for UFOs? You can tell us. <laughs> that's that's all I do. That is all I do. I was actually going to the uh, the vet to buy some uh, cat food. The alien, the alien vet, or the regular vet? <laughs> I'm super curious about this. Yeah, uh, I I'm in, I'm I'm interested now. Yeah, like this story is so it's such a nothing story, and yet I, we can make it so much better, Angelo. If you let Rob and I dictate how you live your life, I feel like you'd live a better life. You think? Absolutely. Get in your car and drive around looking for UFOs with your kids every night for like three hours. So uh, there's, there's just going back to don't lick the UFO because you guys are crazy. Uh, I, I did have a, a good laugh also over the, the drawing that uh, Desdemona did. Uh, oh, yeah. It. She, it's yeah. really great. I'll have to post that. Um, you'll have to send me a link to that and I'll, um, I'll post it in the show notes. Absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely loved that. Uh, that drawing is great. And uh, very appropriate. I think it kind of reminds me of something uh, sort of like Rolling Stones-ish. Yeah. Which, uh, which it's is kind of great. It's kind of like a marrying between the Rolling Stones and the band Boston. You know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just perfect. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty great. We'll have to post it in the show notes because everybody needs to see it because it's fantastic. So, Rob, after uh, the paranormal, specifically UFOs, uh, that might be described as like your great, like non-marital love. I guess would be the best way of putting it, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then right after that, I'd suggest probably music would be your greatest love. Uh yeah, I have been a music junkie since uh, I was a teenager. Really, that's when it took off for me, and you know, ever ever since then. It's this snowball effect to where it's like I gotta listen to it, I gotta listen to it, I gotta listen to it, and um, and and it's come to the certain point where there are I certain things that I have to defend. Like I I will I will go to my grave saying that Hootie and the Blowfish's Fairweather Johnson album is an underrated '90s masterpiece, and you heard it here first, folks. Have you got anyone trying to convince you otherwise? No, and nobody could even try. You're, you're not going to get any argument from me because uh, I was basically front row center for that tour of that album. Were you? Yes. At, I'm uh, insanely jealous. Yeah, I was like front row center. The guys were hammered during their, uh, <laughs> during their uh, encore. 
because uh, they kept drinking beer throughout the whole thing. And Darius Rucker kept dropping his pick when they were uh, during the encore for. Or they were on the stage actually with uh, Fifty Four Forty. Is that the yeah? That's Fifty Four Forty. Yeah. yeah. So they were on the stage with them because uh, they did a version of a Fifty Four Forty song, right? I go blind. So they were singing that all of them at the same time, and they could not hold on to their picks. It was hilarious. Wow, that was a great old man moment right yeah, there. Yeah, that's my <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish story. Uh, so this, and it was basically 20 years ago, right? Just about? Uh, oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, almost 22 now. Yeah, and so that's I'm, amazing. So when I, I was four years old when I went to that concert. <laughs> the rock and Toddler, as they call it? Yeah, yeah right? So, yeah, I, I, I think I still have the, the T-shirt. Maybe I'll have to take a picture and post that T-shirt. I think you're gonna have to because uh, you have to wear it around though and look super sad. I actually, don't even think <laughs> I am sad that there's no more Hootie and the Blowfish. Well, I mean, what, what like, they get together like once a year and they play a couple gigs, but yeah, yeah. Hey, we got country superstar Darius Rucker. We do, okay. and he, you know what, man, he's got a wagon wheel and he's gonna sing the hell out of it. The last time I was in Nashville, I was a day late because uh, he had played the Grand Ole Opry the night before, and I was kind of sad that I missed him. He's yeah. great. He is a fantastic performer. Fantastic. What a voice. Seriously. Just amazing. And that's yeah. another thing with, with Hootie and the Blowfish. Like, <laughs> this has become the Hootie and the Blowfish hour. Uh, they had some amazing harmonies, too. Yeah. All four of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, this is definitely now the Hootie and the Blowfish uh, appreciation hour. Did you guys know that they were on the show Friends? Yes, yes. that's what I. Yeah, that's where the song. <laughs> yeah, that's where the song "I Go Blind" uh, comes into it's play from. because it was on the well, Friends soundtrack. Apparently, my trolling is not working tonight, oh, so I'm just geez. gonna put that away. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, on the shelf. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't. You, you can't. guys were so earnest about it. It was so good. I will always be earnest about Hootie and the Blowfish. Always. <laughs> they were my first band love. Angela, what was your what was your first band love? Oh, uh, the Beatles. Really? Yeah, boring, right? <laughs> but yeah, the Beatles. Totally. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. That, well, you know what? Maybe it's, it's a so the Beatles and also uh, don't laugh, Billy Joel. Because uh, my sister had the Turnstiles album, and uh, she played... That's still pretty solid. Uh, yeah, she played Angry Young Man for me, and at the time I was learning how to play piano, and I thought that was like the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. I didn't realize you can play the piano that fast. Wow. Yeah. So much being learned here. On, yeah. a, fun, on a fun side note, uh, when I was in, I want to say sixth grade, we did this one project where... Um, the first thing we did was we deconstructed um, Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, and we um, basically mapped out like everything that he sang and broke it down into decade. And then uh, after that, you know, we had to research and, and basically write uh, reports on uh, certain different aspects from it. And I, I feel bad for the person that got the Cola Wars because there's like nothing. <laughs> this is like 1996 or 7. There's like nothing. And like the internet is like young and 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 burgeoning, but um, yeah, that that poor person with the cola wars. But uh, <laughs> we also and like the the second part of the project was we had to add to it like things that haven't you know since taken place after the song came out. So yeah, that was like probably the most memorable thing about middle school for me. <laughs> That's actually a really interesting project. Yeah, did anyone foretell 9-11? Uh, no, no, nobody foretold that. Uh, nobody oh. saw that coming. 
<laughs> so le- leave it to us to to uh, have a UFO expert on the show, and uh, we'll talk about music instead. <laughs> well, yeah, we totally just derailed the whole thing. Like we've been recording for what, like fifteen minutes at this point. And it's just it's going downhill, guys. Welcome to the downhill hour, starting your three hosts, Brian, <laughs> Rob, and Angelo. Yeah, sounds like fun. Yeah, uh, getting getting back on track though. Some news this week. Apparently, Spotify hit seventy million subscribers. Amazing. Yeah, and that's uh, in terms of the uh, the environment and uh, how uh, things are are tallied. Uh, we are a perfect representation of that because uh, a third of us is on Apple Music and two thirds of us are on Spotify. Yeah, and that's pretty much the breakdown in real life. Sort of, uh, kind of after that, Rob, this week he wanted to talk about the idea that Apple might be shifting away from the iTunes store to Apple Music and sort of stopping uh, the sale of digital music in 2019, which I thought was uh, very interesting in light of this 70 million subscriber thing for Spotify, too. Yeah, they uh, back in um, middle of December, uh, the representatives from Apple were were talking and to uh, I think it was like digital music news or something like that and they basically said that in 2019 towards the beginning of 2019 they're going to start phasing out uh you know their digital downloads uh buying music which is um which is kind of insane because I always I I always love to do that for whatever reason that is the only Apple thing that I can ever get behind because I still have I still have that damn iPod and I'm like I'm looking at it and I'm like I'm so ashamed of it right now I can't even I can't even be bothered to use it I've just been using Spotify for uh the last three weeks after I I heard this sad news but uh yeah no more no more buying individual albums our singles ever again from the iTunes store. I tell you, I have fond memories of it because uh, the first thing, the first two first things that I ever bought from the iTunes store, uh, the best of Bowie because you 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 can never have enough Bowie, and the Talking Heads stop making sense. And so and, the the thing is, is though, they're Apple's kind of denying it that they're gonna. Like they're gonna close it. They're kind of saying they might phase it out or whatever. But we, I don't know. I, I don't think know they what want do. they want people to keep buying, right? So the idea of like, hey, we're closing up shopping here doesn't bode well for digital sales uh, for the rest of the year. I think in theory, right? So maybe keeping it quiet until they absolutely have to would be the smarter business move to make <laughs> in order to let people keep buying uh, music digitally. Yeah, I think yeah, I think so. And and I'm a, I'm with Rob though, like. I, I look. I love Apple Music. I think Spotify and Apple Music are great because it just makes music so accessible. But there is something to be said about like owning your own music, yeah, and uh, and not having to worry about it like disappearing. That like, there's actually something I was listening to, and then disappeared from Apple Music for a few months, and then it came back. Luckily, but it's just odd that you have this weird feeling that like I'm renting this music, and then we can take it away at any time. So it's not like it's always going to be there. Whereas when you do own something digitally, you you have it, or better yet, if you have the physical CD, if you're if you're an audiophile, uh, you're not buying these crappy uh, MP3s. You want to be listening to it on vinyl with your sixty five thousand dollars speakers. Listen, they're not sixty five thousand dollars. They're only a hundred dollars. It's the turntable that really makes it. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Angela, uh, to the point, I think last week we were talking about this uh, in terms of moving away from a culture of ownership to uh, leasing or sponsorship, right? So I think this is another move that's very indicative of the fact that we don't actually own anything anymore. Like I said, it's kind of sad that you don't get to own your music and it could basically disappear at any time. It's frustrating, right? In a way, uh, for example, like most stuff, vast majority of things you want to listen to, you'll easily find that on Apple Music or Spotify. But then there's certain things that you have that you want to be able to easily get that aren't necessarily available. I'll give you a crazy, a fun, silly example. I have the first two uh, Alanis Morissette albums, the ones before Jagged Little Pill. Mm -hmm. I have them. When she was just Alanis. Yes. So I actually have them on, on CD and I have them in my Apple Music library because I had them uh, ripped to my to my iTunes library. There's no way you're finding those on uh, on Apple Music. I don't think you actually find them on iTunes either, if I'm not mistaken. They're out of print, and she kind of like uh, disowned those two albums. But they're they're not actually terrible at all for something that was made in the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, um, and to keep it slightly Canadian, um, <laughs> in this in the in the well, actually to keep it very Canadian, there are two tragically hip albums that you cannot buy on iTunes. Uh, at least in the states, you can't buy uh, "World Container" and you can't buy "We Are the Same." Really? Don't know why. Yeah, you can't. You, you can't. And if I remember correctly, you can't stream them on uh, Spotify either. Yeah, it could be. It's a question of distributors, right? Yeah. Well, unfortunately, so that's the thing. There's, there's, there's so much stuff though that you guys get in the U.S. that we don't have access to here. That we're kind of out of luck for a lot of things, like having. I, I recently like cut the cord on cable and stuff and it's not a big deal because I don't watch much television, but it's really hard to come by some shows and then you only get to watch them for like a week and then they kind of come off. And even a lot of these apps, I don't know if it's the same in the US, but in Canada, they want you to put your cable information. But what's the point of having this app if you already have cable anyway? It's kind of dumb. Really? They ask you for your cable information? Yeah. That's, that's insane, dumb, right? Now- yeah, they don't. They don't. I've I've never been asked for that. So it's it makes no sense when, and the thing is, I can understand if it's like a specialty channel, but these are the over the air networks that we have in Canada that ask you for uh, your cable provider information so you can uh, stream episodes that are more than a week old, and in uh, one of our major networks doesn't even let you uh, stream stuff off Apple TV. They prefer that you just use their own boxes. So that's that's a crying shame right there. Yeah, it sounds like you're really pissed off. You can't watch the Big Bang Theory, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one show we can't watch anymore. That we kind of begrudgingly continued watching. I don't know why. It's I I think I've lost interest in it like years ago. But it's just something dumb to laugh at from time to time. Yeah, I can't believe I was kidding, and then you seriously answered my question. <laughs> that's <laughs> twice we like I totally mess up on your on your vibe. I think don't you don't you also own a Bazinga shirt? Yes, I do actually own a Bazinga <laughs> shirt that I wore on my honeymoon uh, in Mexico, and uh, we were trying. So uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a resort in in Mexico no. or anyway, right? So we're at a resort, a five star nice resort in Mexico. We we were going on our honeymoon, and we're walking down the the hallway, and I'm like, we're trying to like avoid eye contact with all the tour guides because they just harass you to come on the tour with them. And I'm wearing that t-shirt. It's like, hey, Bazinga. Hey, Bazinga. So I'm hearing that the whole way down the hallway. And it's a really long hallway. So that was great. What made you pack that shirt for your, for your honeymoon? I don't know. I thought it was clever uh, uh, 10 years ago. But it was not. 
Hey, Rob, I'm looking for a new co-host for a podcast. Would you be interested in applying? <laughs> I'll put my application in. <laughs> um, getting back to the matter at hand, though, and a much more serious question. Angela, you brought up Alanis Morissette before. You are an ardent Alanis Morissette fan, so much so that you've bought very expensive Alanis bootlegs in the past. Yeah. Oh, my. Like So this was before the internet. It was... Uh mid 90s so it was still on the jagged little pill tour stuff uh recorded from her shows and uh, i went to this small little uh boutique record shop here in uh, in quebec that no longer exists it was uh in downtown montreal called the hook on stuck so they basically had pretty much only bootlegs if i'm not mistaken right brian yeah uh their legit fare was very minimal from like the one or two times i stepped in there yeah it was mostly just like bootleg things and nobody cared you should buy it. but i spent like 70 dollars on a double cd that had uh, these bootleg things that you can now just like type into your pocket computer and bring them up and have no issues finding live music it's kind of frustrating to think back about how much money i spent on cds and stuff and i really don't miss that how much money i spent on a bazinga shirt yeah <laughs> i'm never gonna live that down no, you're not. Uh, Rob, how about you? Like, Is there anything bootleggy that you've collected in the past that you're kind of okay with? Um, Not really. Uh, I, I just never had the opportunity to actually uh, obtain. For me, the, the bootleg stuff that I could get it was generally available on the internet at the time. So I started attending concerts. My first concert was in 2003 in the Beacon Theater in New York City. I saw this band, uh, uh, Widespread Panic, which is basically... Oh! Yeah. They're, uh, they're kind of like the Grateful Dead light. <laughs> um, definitely uh, better musicianship, uh, at least for me, when it comes to... When, when you talk about a jam band that like can still remotely sound like the song that they're they're currently in, even if they're jamming out, so... Um, yeah, that was my first concert and like my mom brought me down there and oh, let me tell you that, that place, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got caught a contact buzz, uh, just standing in there and in 2003, I'm like, uh, 19 years old. <laughs> I think my first concert was Green Day in the 93 or 94. Oh, you were on the Dookie era. Yeah, yeah. It was for that tour. Uh, they uh, they did not play very long at all. It was like kind of disappointing. They uh, they were on for like an hour. And uh, who did you go with? I went with uh, I went with uh, my um, my two so my one of my best friends, his brother and his best friend, uh, which is funny now. So the uh, my friend's brother, who's also my friend, he um, he went he jumped into the mosh pit and came back with one shoe. <laughs> and now he is a uh the news anchor here in montreal <laughs> the, like the, <laughs> there you go the major news anchor here and the, the, it's kind of funny like i was in a band with him and he's like uh we were uh i was like the responsible one in the band he was like very unreliable and now he's like the uh a news anchor which is kind of funny to see i still see the same kid that was very unreliable to reach during uh band practices we actually got him a pager as a band we told him get a pager so we can actually <laughs> page you this is that that long ago right there were no cell phones and within a week the pager was missing and gone he lost it so or he wow. traded it for money yeah i was uh I, I don't even know if you remember this this was kind of fun uh but yeah the the green day concert was kind of funny in that we were very disappointed 
that they only played for like an hour. Our friend lost his shoe. And, uh, and my, my friend, who's the older brother, had to explain that to their mom. And I remember the look of a father with his 13 or 14-year-old daughter just standing there saying, what the hell is going on? <laughs> so, Rob, like you, my first show was with my mother. It was in 2000. I went to go see the Anger Management Tour. Uh, it was Papa Roach, the rapper Exhibit, Eminem, and Limp Bizkit. Ah, yes. Um... And uh, my mother was definitely high by the end of it, oh, even man. though she's staunchly oh. anti-drug. <laughs> and only years afterwards, when we talked about the show, had it dawned on her that the devil's weed had entered her body. Because <laughs> on the way back, she was like talking to herself and giggling. And like, it was like, it was not the mom that I knew. And it was very odd in that like, uh, she clearly was uh, not sober. Yeah. Was she looking over her shoulder? No. <laughs> no. Like- Paranoid. Yeah, but it's the, it was the craziest thing because my mother actually really enjoys uh, the music, uh, a little less so the lyrics of Eminem, but she's definitely into it. Uh, and so uh, I was supposed to, there were plans made and then unfortunately a ticket had freed up. So my mom was like, oh, I'll go. And so I went to go see Eminem and Biscuit with my mother at the age of like 13 or 14. Wow. So yeah, she enjoyed herself. It was really weird. Uh, and here we are today. See, and you guys talking about your first concerts being uh, post 21st century makes me feel very old. Thanks, Grandpa. You got Grandpa Angelo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm going to stomp on your grass, old man. <laughs> so speaking of something that makes me feel old, and I'm kind of coming around in this, but I'm much more of um, an album person than I'm a playlist person. That's always been the thing. Like even now that I have access to all these amazing curated playlists that are uh, thoughtfully put together, I just always just listen to albums like straight through. I don't. I hardly even ever shuffle albums. I, I like to have my the purity of the album itself, which st- has begun to become like a lost art at this point. Yeah. Um. And realistically, uh, the album. It's it's kind of become, a, almost like, a thing that a band has to do. At least for a lot of bands, it, it's it's one of those things that they have to do because like. Um, realistically, albums didn't start getting hot as a as a thing until like the Beatles came along, and then they were able to sell, you know, twelve songs on a on a, a piece of vinyl that people would buy, and then that was the bottle going forward until you got to the Napster era and the um and that era of of stealing music essentially. So. I I do appreciate the album more and more and uh I'm I'm one that interchanges their listening. I'll go I'll listen to like three or four albums in a row and then I'll be like, eh, "I'll mix it up, go to a playlist that I that I have made or something like that and then I'll go back and 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 go through a few more albums." So I I do appreciate the lost art, you know, the lost art of the the album and and being able to appreciate one piece of, of music, uh, a collective of music, uh, I, I do miss that because I, that's also kind of the way that my dad raised me because my dad was a, a radio DJ for 20 years. and Yeah, and uh, we would just throw on albums all the time and just play through our, our, our 
our favorites and stuff and like uh <laughs> uh toward the mid 2000s i think I, I i was growing on them because like uh we would we would play my chemical romance <laughs> in the car so <laughs> i do appreciate the album and i think i always will i i am coming around in the playlist though so uh, it's it's something that's uh that's something that's grown on me now especially with apple music um but you're right. Like in the era of Napster, and then once iTunes started selling songs specifically for a dollar, yeah. that was kind of like the end of the album. Although my eight-year-old daughter really enjoys listening to like albums uh, on their own, and then she's been starting to create her own playlists in Apple Music, which is kind of fun to see. Yeah. Strangely enough, though, I was talking to a coworker today about um, the phenomenon of the album because we got t- talking about Led Zeppelin. And when I was like 13 or 14, I had downloaded an entire Led Zeppelin album as one MP3. So in order to listen to it, I had to listen to all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so that kind of <laughs> stuck in my head today of like, I'm definitely an album person. But even that experience like forced me to be even more of an album person, which I can appreciate. And I, I feel like playlists are work and I'm not interested in working with music. So I'd rather just find the albums that I enjoy who and they're already curated in theory for like maximum playability so i kind of enjoy the idea that like someone has prepared a set arrangement of songs for me to sit through that's like a weird uh version of a cassette tape that mp3 you got it's like do you have to rewind the mp3 at one point it's kind of bizarre that it's like you have to listen to it from one end to the next and or fast forward like a like a cassette tape which is kind of weird i did not miss cassette tapes by the way i always hated them always hated them i i did not like cassettes not at all they were no fun i was very happy to move to CD once I got a CD player. So you went from like vinyl to, to CD player and like just skipped the cassette? Pretty much, actually. We had a, a vinyl player. And then in the mid, like early to mid 80s, my sister actually got a CD player really early. Um, when, but she was married. Like they weren't, they weren't living at home. And uh, it was kind of wait, cool. wait. What does this have to do with CD players? So she got a CD player way before like I knew anybody who had a CD player. And and uh, w- because she got married. Oh yeah, they got it as a wedding gift. I don't know what you're. you're oh, there you go. There you me, go. That's the that's the that's the missing <laughs> he wants link. he okay. wants the details, Angelo. The details. <laughs> so yes, they got a CD player. I believe is an Iowa CD player. If you want to be really specific. Oh wow. So uh, I was fascinated that you just put this thing in and you press a button and it skips to the next song without you doing anything. Uh, never mind how good it sounded compared to uh, the vinyl stuff we were listening to on our very standard record player. So that was pretty impressive. And then, yeah, I kind of skipped over tapes and really started my collection on CD. So I was never really one of those guys that had to buy their their um, record uh, record collection over again on, on CD. I, I pretty much had it on CD. And then once digital came around, they just burned everything to my, uh, or ripped everything to my computer. I will tell you that you, you are skipping out on the joys that my family had of owning Journey's Greatest Hits on every single format possible. <laughs> we went from 8-track, we went to the vinyl, we went to the cassette, finally to the CD. Oh, we had to buy a new CD because guess what? They threw a bonus track on it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, do you now email YouTube links to each other? Uh, no. I, I No? Because I, I just picture your entire family just sharing journey links with each other ad nauseum. Um, no. Uh, I, I kind of I wish that was, you know, happening, but it, it's not. Um, 
uh, and the biggest regret I always have is like I I never got to see uh, Journey with Steve Perry. I I got to see it with Arnell and, and oh and, right, and he is uh, pretty damn amazing. That guy can fly around that stage and sing uh, his butt off like crazy. It's it's great. Journey that that's the band from The Sopranos, right? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Angelo, in the show notes, you put a sentence that I will let you unpack because I don't know where this is going. Angelo, you put down Taylor Swift is the apple of pop music. What do you mean by that? I have no idea why I put that there. I think it's because everybody uh, likes to to sort of hate on her because she's so successful, but people still really love her and she can almost do no wrong. And when she does, she kind of like gets out of it no matter what. Um, this is kind of, I so guess, what you're doing is you're lining up a, a series of people who feel you have a persecution complex. Maybe. I, so, that's, so I just, I'm marveling at the sentence. Like, it sounds like something you were like, when you typed, you were like, yes, this is like a really great segment. I'm going to get into this. And now like with some hindsight, but, you have no idea of the context. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Also, so, also this opens up. Uh, some channels to actually just bash on Apple too. So that is amazing. <laughs> My two favorites, Taylor Swift and Apple. Uh, By the way, we were recording here on the 9th of January, which is the 11th anniversary of the unveiling of the first iPhone. Oh, yeah. Wow. wow. 11 years old. That stinky, stinky iPhone. Yeah. That, that phone I'll never have. You'll have one eventually, you know it. No. Uh, so if, ta- if Taylor Swift is the Apple of pop music, who's the Android? <laughs> Kanye West. <laughs> it's easy. I think Kanye's better than that. Uh, yeah, I'm with Rob on this one. Like, I would go for like Maroon 5 or something. <laughs> um, oh, man. Um, who's kind of there and exists in, like, in a bunch of different formats and like you're into them, but you don't really love them, but they kind of do neat stuff sometimes. Um, like Muse? Uh, yeah, I can, I can see Muse. It's just like, and Imagine like, Dragons. And, uh, yeah, the Imagine Dragons, oh, I you think. Too. Yeah. yeah, that's that's good, Brian. You too. Even though uh, they had like a, a free uh, album on all iPhones by accident. Old Man Angelo, did you see U2 live? I've never seen U2 live. Not that I can. Oh, maybe I have. Have you tried no, to? No, I haven't. Um, no, so by the, like, they were, by the time I was going to concerts, they were huge and they were always like at the Olympic Stadium here in, in Montreal and concerts at the Olympic Stadiums are, at the Olympic Stadium are garbage because they sound like you're in like a toilet bowl. So I, I never ended up going and they were really expensive. I, I, I much preferred smaller concerts. One of the best concerts I went to was seeing Collective Soul at uh, a very small venue here. Love you, Collective Soul. Yeah. Yeah, Collective Soul is pretty great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shine. Yeah. Were you, trying to, were you trying to be the OG hipster? I much prefer them in a smaller setting. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, it's kinda like those, uh, those hipsters that talk about seeing um, Neutral Milk Hotel actually live back in the day <laughs> or something. Actually, one of the few things I can claim is I did see Arcade Fire on the come up. So I, like, I never bring that one out, but I, I did see them in a in a like a 200 cab venue here uh 2004 i think well i like jagged little pill before anybody else so there and i oh here we go um, here the, like, we the, go the tens of millions of 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 copies of the albums were sold here yeah like no so like i hadn't i i was watching uh we had a, a music station here in quebec called music plus and uh 
they had this, uh, they had an interview with uh, Alanis Morissette. I'm like, oh, that's, hey, that's the, uh, that's Alanis. I'm like, what's she doing now? And all of a sudden it's like this relatively heavy rock compared to the stuff she was playing before. I'm like, this is amazing. So I went out and bought the album in like June of 95, like when it came out. And, how old were you? Uh, yeah. How, how old was I? Yeah. 18? Uh, okay. So I was going to say like puberty hit at the time that you discovered this, but this is almost pu- like post-puberty. No, no, I was a, I was a dude. I was a guy man it was, it was a, a man <laughs> i was a dude he was a dude so no i was 17 i guess in, in 95 I was, summer of 95 i was like 17 so uh but it was um yeah and then i was telling him like this album is amazing it's so good like yeah whatever she's like a pop star i'm like no it's really good i'm like this is gonna win album of the year and it won album of the year i was very impressed with myself many pats on my back I, <laughs> I i know how you feel because they're the only time i've ever been able to predict one Grammy Award. The year that John Legend dropped his first album, I'm like, next year that guy's winning uh, Best New Artist at the Grammys, and he sure as hell did. Yeah, it's it's it was kind of a, an amazing feeling. I'm like, this is going to be the best album of the year. And everybody's like, no, who the hell, the hell is this? And uh, yeah, I was very impressed with myself. Uh, I will never forget that. Did you buy yourself a sash? <laughs> yes. It said, predictor of album of the years. Uh, and on the back it said the Nostradamus of music (laughs) did you wear it to your wedding Uh, no I was not allowed (laughs) I like how I was not allowed not and not like I had the decent common sense of like putting the sash away the day of my nuptials yeah (laughs) Mustradamus didn't get to wear it Mustradamus yes very good All right, guys, let's head on over to the main meat and potatoes of this episode, which is the paranormal. Uh, So this week we want to talk about music and the occult. Uh, But once again, Angela's put in a note. I'm just going to let him read it. Oh, well, no, this is so... Okay, we were supposed to record this this episode originally like in December, and then poor Rob had like crazy boiler problems. His house became haunted. It was crazy, so we had to stop. And I had put a note because it was the week that all the disclosure stuff happened. So um, I don't know what did I write. I wrote before we go to music, UFOs are official, and Angela decided not to read anything about it because he doesn't want to spoil the alien invasion. So at that, so before we recorded, I hadn't really read anything. So I was expecting you guys to tell me all about the alien invasion that was going to happen. Okay, do us a favor. Okay. Gather your children, get into the car, take a look. <laughs> Where? Up in the skies, if the alien invasion has come. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, Wait. Yeah, see if it's come out from behind the moon. All right, I'll be right back. <laughs> He's probably talking to his cat. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No, nothing. Nothing? I walked to the window. I actually did it. Wait, is your is your is your cat in the room? Um, she was here a minute ago. She disappeared. She may have been abducted. Oh, oh okay. perfect! This is the perfect pretense for for an episode. Because there are uh, three guests to this podcast: me being one, Sam being the other, and your cat. Yes, being... <laughs> <laughs> you've actually noticed that. We weren't sure if anybody actually noticed that we had put the cat as one of the guests on the episode. If people go to our webpage. You can look at our guest list and you will see a picture of my cat there. I love that. That's the weirdest plug for a website that we're going to give. Very quickly, (laughs) Rob, uh, let's call this an intermission. Care to plug your socials as well as your podcast right now before we get into this? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, we uh, are strange guys. You can find it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for our strange guys. Uh, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, it's called In Gray We Trust, a group for those that like to look up into our strange skies. Uh, join it. Uh, we have good, uh, fun conversations and 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 share cool links and stuff like that. Uh, if you want to email the podcast, uh, our strange skies at gmail.com. And if you want to uh, connect with me my, on my personal Twitter, it's at your UFO guy, spelled Y E R UFO guy. And uh, do you have a MySpace page up? <laughs> I used to, but sadly, I there came a there came a time when I looked at it and I and I said to myself, "Listen, man, you got to know when to let things go." And and yeah, I deactivated it. Sadly, D- did this happen in the calendar year twenty uh, seventeen? No, uh, maybe four years ago. <laughs> wow. Whoa, that's so somewhat recently. Yeah. I can respect that. Yeah. I think yeah. Brian and I both said whoa at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the main uh, topic, I guess, it, it only took us, what, like 45 minutes to get to, uh, is uh, the intersection of music and the occult because us being music fans and us being fans of the paranormal, we decided the best way to sort of approach this would be to talk about music and the occult in different ways. So we've kind of all picked different topics to get into. So, uh, of course, there's the obvious ones, like, you know, like Led Zeppelin is a big one, right? So Jimmy Page... Uh, being very interested in Satanism and like a lot of sort of mystical tales surrounding his uh, guitar playing as well as the songs in general and a lot of the mishaps that have occurred to the band um, are pretty easy to find if you decide to either pick up a book or look through the internets. Something about yeah. Led Zeppelin actually is uh, years and years ago I kept hearing them say, oh, there's the look at the Zozo thing about Led Zeppelin. I'm like, what do you mean? And that was their logos, right? Each band member had their own logo. And then just recently, I started hearing about th- that name as a demon uh, associated with the Ouija board, which is kind of creepy. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and, and to think that, the, that you have to juxtapose that with uh, lyrics that are plucked right from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Call him the evil one. Yeah. So uh, first up on deck, Angela, you wanted to talk about the tale of Robert Johnson. Yeah, somebody else that uh, Led Zeppelin plagiarized. But uh, <laughs> so uh, amongst a legion of dead blues players, yes. Yeah, yeah, but it, it wasn't just Led Zeppelin. It was like a lot of people. Yeah, pretty much any British band of the '60s, pretty much. Yeah, and that's something I did come across a lot in uh, looking about uh, looking at Robert Johnson is that um, he influenced a whole generation of the. Uh, of the British uh, guitarists, uh, most importantly, Eric Clapton, who said that he had never heard anything like him. Um, but that comes later. One of the interesting tidbits about Robert Johnson, also Dead at 27. There's that whole Dead at 27 thing with rock stars. Um, who do we count among that group? There's Jimmy, there's, I was going to say Jimmy Page, but he's not dead. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain. Johnny Mitchell. Who? Johnny Mitchell. Johnny Mitchell. No, not Johnny Mitchell. Sorry. No. Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin. Yes, Janis Joplin. I'm literally staring at a book with Janis Joplin's face on it, and I, for some reason I said Johnny Mitchell. I'm like, Johnny Mitchell, wait, is this, are, we getting, are we getting Mandela'd? I don't remember. Oh, that. God, no. Jeez. Um, no, it was it was my goof, and I'll own it. Mama Cass, I think, also? Um, yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, we have... Um, the recent one. I can't think of her name right now. Oh, uh, Amy Winehouse. Yes, Amy Winehouse, also at 27. 
Um, so there's quite a few, and uh, I think Robert Johnson may have, one of, may have been one of the first ones in 1939. And so the legend goes that he went to the crossroad of highways 49 and 61 in, in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and uh, sold his soul to the devil to become a, uh, a much better guitarist because he was, um, according to uh, Sun House, he was being interviewed, There was he was like a young kid who would just show up and was a terrible guitarist. He would try and do the blues, he couldn't couldn't play a lick to save his life and then he disappeared for a year and when he came back he was absolutely incredible the thing is with this story there's a lot of things that are go- have gone wrong there's possibilities of multiple robert johnsons there's a attribution tr- of of him going to the crossroads actually not being him so there's a whole bunch of stuff and I- i'm just curious do you guys know much about the whole robert johnson legend I know a little bit uh, about it, like, you know, the the whole story of, of, about going to the crossroads and selling your soul to Satan and, and all that stuff, uh, I think is more associated with him also through the music because he talks about, you know, the crossroads and he, he talks about uh you know the the black dogs and 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 the uh he taught he has songs where you know satan's in it and or the devil's in it and, and like i think the first exposure i ever had to that was the uh episode of supernatural in the second season that dealt with that and then like and then you go through the that rabbit hole of what there was an actual guy that sold his soul Play wow, the so blues. You, so you came to it a lot later than I did. So I started hearing about Robert Johnson when I started learning how to play guitar. And uh, so it was like mid nineties. I started learning how to play guitar, and we used to, like he was like whispered about because it is, his recordings had not that long ago come out on CD. Like they had come out on on album in the sixties, but recently they had been re released and remastered on CD. And we were talking about this guy saying how he was one dude with a guitar. And he sounded like there were two or three guitars playing, and it was amazing. And then there was the whole thing about the songs are about the devil, and he actually sold his soul to 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 be able to play this. And back then, I I totally bought into it. I really thought it was one hundred percent done deal. He made a deal with the devil. And then, obviously, I became a lot more skeptical in my old age. And recently, I looked, like I said, I looked into it, and there's a lot of really interesting stories about it. There was a really great radio lab episode, actually you can't get through their RSS feed anymore onto your podcast player, but it's, I, I'm going to link uh, to the episode in our show notes. There's a great page about it where there was some interesting talk about there being multiple Robert Johnson. So he might not have been the Robert Johnson people were talking about when it came to the whole story about the devil. And the thing is, is that somebody says that the legend is actually about somebody named Tommy Johnson who told his brother uh, Liddell Johnson that he had actually sold his soul to the devil to have the talent that he had. Um, so there's there's so many things, and obviously this was in a time, he was born in 1911 or 1912, they're not even sure when he was born. So there's so many things there that they're not even sure who he was or what actually happened, other than that this spe- specific Robert Johnson recorded these uh, very famous and amazing recordings uh, in the 30s, and then before he was able to actually um, be shown to the world, he died. Uh, kind of haunting is that somebody named uh, John Hammond, not the one who opened Jurassic Park, but um, <laughs> someone who was very uh, famous in terms of getting musicians out there, um, 
wanted to have Robert Johnson come play at Carnegie Hall with a whole bunch of other uh, extraordinarily talented, talented musicians. And once he got and tried to get in touch with Robert Johnson, he found that he had died. So what he did is he actually set up a phonograph in Carnegie Hall, put the record on, and played it for the people there. And I find that kind of um, haunting and um, poignant, too, that he did play this even though he had passed away. And then in 1968, he actually released the Robert Johnson uh, recordings for everyone to hear. And that's when things took off with Clapton and Led Zeppelin and everybody kind of clamoring to play like this man who just basically had a legend around them. And that that's basically what it comes down to is that it's a really interesting legend about a very talented musician who probably did not make a deal with the devil, but practiced really hard for a year or so and had uh, an innate talent for music that he eventually was able to bring out uh, without a deal for the, with the devil, just uh, good old-fashioned practicing. Yeah, and like if you look at photographs, uh, like the few remaining photographs of Robert Johnson, he has a very haunting face. Yeah, there's uh, only two um, photographs that are f- certainly him. Yeah, uh, I remember years ago there was a film of a man playing guitar extraordinarily fast and actually um, while playing guitar, moving a capo up and down the, 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 the neck as well as playing. Um, and it was kind of creepy, but it wasn't Robert Johnson, unfortunately. So there's no actual footage of him ever playing. There's just two known pictures, the one in the photo booth and the one where he's sitting, uh, maybe actually three maybe known pictures, and one where he's sitting with a guitar, um, a big smile on his face, wearing a nice suit, uh, playing some, uh, like, he had huge fingers, like really long, skinny fingers that were um, perfectly made for guitar playing. So uh, he was was quite the talent. Uh, Eric Clapton said that he had never heard finger picking like that, where he would play a bass line with his thumb, then with his middle fingers play like uh, the rhythm section, and then with his pinky and ring finger play uh, the lead section, all while singing and sometimes playing um, uh, a slide guitar, which is, uh, as somebody who's played guitar for like 20 years, that's really hard. Um, But I've never really played uh, practice to become any sort of shredder on guitar or anything. Just just listening to him play, though, is, is impressive. It's just... Nowadays, listening to those recordings with all um, how amazing music production has become, they sound kind of like thin and sort of um, echoey. But take the time to listen to the Robert Johnson collection. You can find it anywhere uh, on any um, of the music services out there for sure. And if you send a self-addressed stamp and envelope to Angelo, he will burn you a CD of the complete <laughs> Robert Johnson recordings. Yeah, send it to my address in Pueblo, Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> so Robert Johnson would sell his soul to the devil for uh, exceptional guitar skills. Uh, Bart Simpson sold his soul for Pogs. Uh, Angelo, Rob, what would you sell your souls for? Ooh. Man. That's a tough one. I would, I, I don't know. Uh, Rob, you have any ideas? You know, I'd probably do it just to be like Robert Johnson or at least that legend, you know? 
at least become pretty skilled at a guitar. That that would be sweet. If there's one instrument that you'd want to do that for, it's not like, hey, I'm going to sell my soul for like super sick tambourine skills. <laughs> be like, like the guitar is definitely it. Yeah, I'm going down to the crossroads. I'm going to sell my soul to learn how to play the timpani. <laughs> <laughs> timpani, wow. You pulled that one out. Yeah. Angela, it's it's not something Apple related for you. Like you wouldn't sell your soul for like infinite Apple access. So okay, so I already play guitar, uh, not like Robert Johnson, but I play okay. Humble brag. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm amazing at the piano, so I won't even bother touching that. Um, no, it wouldn't be music related. It would be more like uh, podcast related. Let's say, uh, uh, although I think uh, Toby from uh, from. <laughs> From Secret Transmission, sell his soul to the devil to uh, have a successful podcast. Uh, yeah, he d- he did. And now, Satan's... so you're just bandwagoning. Yeah, see, so I can't do that. He he stole that from me, or I I would be stealing. What about it from like him. a golden voice? What about a voice that makes everyone stop and listen? Oh yeah, uh, like does it, it like just for singing or for podcasting? Because anything really, just in general. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, golden voice. That, that sounds. Thanks, Brian. You've given me an idea for when I do meet the devil and have to sell something. I really hope that you get into bed tonight and you tuck your sheets up right to your neckline and then like you're, you just, you hope, you hope that it comes up in the night. No, I don't hope that comes up in the night. Are you crazy? That's horrifying. <laughs> I hope it's in like broad daylight in sunshine in the summer in my backyard and everything. <laughs> just nice. like afternoon devil with ice cream. It, so, uh, because that's like when it's at, things are, in, it's most pleasant. When I, when I did the research for the Mojave incident, which is like sort of how I got to know Rob actually. Um, I, I, I researched that in the bright Wait, sunshine. Wait, is Rob the man of your nightmares? Rob, no. No, no, but okay. he, he's caused things that have, he's given me stories that have caused me nightmares, so thanks. Hey, um, no problem, happy to help. I'm, I, I'm always listening for Jeff the ghost. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you should. You, everybody has their own. I mean, they're always out there. I, I had one of those things the other night where, you know, where you're about to fall asleep and then you hear like a loud boom or a loud sound. Yeah. Oh my oh, yeah. God. It freaked me out. Cause I was like, what was that? And my wife's like, nothing, nothing happened. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Been there, been there a few times. You're hoping for like summertime ice cream, Satan appearing to you and like making a deal. Like your kids are in the sandbox and you're sitting on like on a park bench or something. Yeah. And as long as he's not a shadow person, cause those guys are really like scary no thank you no no define features like he has a face that you can see he's got like a guitar in his back yeah or no <laughs> actually shows up with a microphone <laughs> the golden the gold- satanic microphone yeah golden microphone yeah. there we go uh, and and do you have something or did you already say it and i forgot i don't know i guess yeah i think i would pick guitar i think i think rob's right like the, the that is such a badass legend like to go down like i'm not the like the guy who's playing the tambourine i'm not the flute boy i want to be a guitar man so, look, this summer, both of you guys show up. I'll give you some lessons. On the flute? No, on the guitar. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. That I can do. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, that'll be Rob's trip to Canada. He went to an Apple store, and an older man taught him how to play guitar for an afternoon. Nobody's going to believe that. Nobody. <laughs> <laughs> you guys make me sound like I'm, like, 80. I'm not that much older than both you, of you. you. You've literally stated your old age, like, three times in this podcast now. Yeah, Strike I think you've you've prematurely aged yourself uh, at least twenty to thirty years now. 
just in the course of this podcast. I knew Robert Johnson. <laughs> are you sucking our life essences out? Is this a thing where you're stealing like part of our essence to remain younger? I'm a podcasting vampire. Oh, that is not surprising. Uh, a podcasting vampire who owns a Bazinga shirt. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Rob, you've chosen quite an interesting tale that I knew almost nothing about before you brought it up and I started doing some research. And it's a sad yet kind of super intriguing story. Yeah, this is kind of like the the real world application of the Robert Johnson legend put into one man who whose disappearance is like highly speculative. So uh, this is the story of Jim Sullivan. And it all starts with a, actually another guy named Matt Sullivan. Another Sullivan. They're not related. But uh, he's the founder of Light in the Attic Records, which is a small independent press, uh, I believe, out of Washington, Seattle, uh, somewhere in that region. And uh, they basically revive long-forgotten albums. And uh, he, this Matt Sullivan, he was perusing the internet and he was on this website called waxidermy and uh i don't know who wrote the article but uh it's it's basically like you know a, a vinyl lovers blog of like the the, the records that he buys and, and and just like goes through like the whole the whole thing it's it's kind of like an unboxing video but for like a, but it's like a blog and it's all about vinyl <laughs> and, he, and he starts talking about this album called ufo and uh matt sullivan downloads it and he falls in love with it so um he de- this is how he describes it uh and this is in a an interview on uh, NPR, he says uh, his voice has that kind of weathered, worldly Americana sound, kind of a country mixed with rock element to it. Uh, from there, the production, the strings, it's lush, but they're dark and eerie. I kind of look at it as pop songs that aren't happy. They're filled with despair, and that kind of really captures what UFO is. It's It's a very... It's very singer songwritery, but it's also like esoteric and 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 filled with these really like lush string arrangements and and stuff like that that kind of like counterset all the misery that's like going on around it. Um, but essentially Matt Sullivan uh, goes on this uh, trip to find out uh, more about Jim Sullivan and exactly you know who he was and, and stuff like that and he meets um, he meets his wife Barbara and and his son and uh, he meets uh, because for the the that first album, he was backed up by the Wrecking Crew, and the Wrecking Crew are famous 
uh, for backing up most uh, famous acts in the 60s and 70s and uh, people like uh, uh, Simon and Garfunkel and pretty much anybody that you can think of in the 60s and 70s. And uh, leads him to a man named Al Dobbs. And Al Dobbs, he essentially, what he was is like on a TV show, he was the guy that held the cue cards. So <laughs> he, uh, wow. he, uh, he falls, uh, he gets the story from Al and uh, essentially uh, Al fell in love with his music because uh, Jim Sullivan would play gigs all around uh, Los Angeles, um, and uh, it, it was particularly uh, this place called the Raft, and uh, essentially a lot of famous uh, people would come in, actors and stuff like that. Farrah Fawcett, um, Harry Dean Stanton, just to name a couple. But uh, he kind of got a reputation around town, and he and he also had an appearance in the film Easy Rider. So he starts, you know, building this reputation and, and Al thinks that, you know, he, he could make money off of him. Like he's, he's a guy that, that should be, you know, famous at this point. And he basically asks his, uh, it's like a college buddy to finance the making of this album. And, um, they, they raise enough money to, yeah, to hire the wrecking crew, which I can't imagine is is cheap by any means. But essentially, what you get with this album, uh, the production from the wrecking crew almost out, you know, outshadows uh, Jim's work because Jim was essentially known as this solo guy that just like his his performances, these stark performances just like really captured and brought you in. And, uh, it's not really what you get on the record, but what you get on the, on the album is, uh, is so incredible. It's, it's almost hard to explain because most of what Jim's doing is, uh, acoustic work. And, um, you have the wrecking crew coming in with, uh, and just adding to it. And what sticks out most is the drums. The drums cut through that like crazy. Uh, and it, it gives it a really cool vibe to it. But essentially, they cut this album, they put it out, and Jim, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't sell much. And about a year later, they re-released the album where they cut back on uh, the, the Wrecking Crew's production. And uh, it's really Jim at the forefront. And if you listen to that album, it's on uh, YouTube. Just... Uh, uh, well, I'll have you put links in the in the show notes. Um, it's not produced very well. It's kind of rough in a couple spots here and there. But um, he even after that, he doesn't get much success. He keeps playing gigs around town, and then he he follows it up with uh, it's a self titled album in 1972 on uh, Playboy, their their label. <laughs> they had a label. 
yes, they did have a label for for a short period of time, but um, still not finding any success after the release of that album either. So Jim, he he starts to become a heavy drinker. Um, he also believes that people are stealing his songs. I don't know how he came to that conclusion, but um, he he eventually got into his head that he needed to go to Nashville in in order to uh, really make a name for himself. That was going to be his big break. So he leaves his wife and, and child behind and heads out, heads out for Nashville. He leaves on March 4th, 1975. He travels for about 15 hours, and he's pulled over outside Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Uh, I guess he he was swerving in the road, but it wasn't due to drugs or alcohol. It was essentially he was really tired because he'd just been driving uh, for 15 hours straight. And uh, the police uh, gave him directions to uh, this hotel called the La Mesa. And he checks in, but he ultimately doesn't end up staying in the room. So Jim essentially buys uh, some alcohol and uh, it takes off down the road. And uh, about 26, it's about 26 miles away, but uh, his vehicle is found abandoned on the side of the road. Everything is left in it. His guitar, his wallet, uh he had a box of uh, a couple of his records in it. He had unemployment papers. Like, everything that the man had was left in that car, and he was nowhere to be seen, and he has never been seen since. The thing that, uh, <laughs> that gives this story kind of its legend is that on the album UFO, there are these themes of essentially, uh, you know, going down the highway and, and being out in the desert and uh, essentially, uh, you know, taking a ride on a UFO. And, and, and it's kind of it, it's kind of romantic in a way. And it's like, essentially, you know, Jim Sullivan pulls up to on the side of the road, walks into the desert and is never seen again. And um, to make it even more kind of creepy, if you look at... Uh, the reissue of UFO and you open the gatefold, it's essentially a picture of Jim walking in the desert. So essentially this is the closest thing to uh, almost a real life Robert Johnson legend. And, and, and I've loved this story ever since. And if you, I highly urge everybody go listen to that album because it is amazing. We'll go ahead and add some links in the show notes uh, to some of the cuts off of UFO. Uh, so I guess my first question for you, Rob, is do you feel like this is genuinely uh, like a very creepy experience? Or do you feel like perhaps he felt like he had to live up to this persona that he had perhaps created in his mind post uh, recording the first album specifically? It's tough to really say because like um, there are he supposedly had conversations with his manager in which he had stated that like. If he wanted to disappear, he'd just walk into the desert and never be seen again. Um, you know, which is fascinating. But like they searched that desert extensively and they never found him. Which is which is really interesting because like and there are a lot of theories that people have. Uh there are theories saying that um 
that it might have been cops because he was essentially kind of a hippie. And, you know, during that time, you know, hippies kind of pretty much garnered a negative reputation. So um, there's that. Um, there, near where his car was abandoned, uh, it was abandoned near a ranch owned by a, uh, f- the Gennetti family, and they supposedly had uh, ties to Chicago gangsters. And, uh, you know, that, that was always part of it because they did claim to interact with him at one point, but, uh, it's, it's tough speculation, but like for Jim, uh, he, he just, he wanted to make it and he never, he never could. So he just took off and, uh, there's this now romantic idea in your head that he's flying on a UFO somewhere. <laughs> it's a little poignant, isn't it? It's, it's sad too. Cause when you think that he had yeah. left to find a better life, for his his wife and son is is a son right for his wife and child yeah. he cuz he didn't leave them he he left them there with the idea that he would make some money in Nashville uh, hopefully get famous and then be able to support them and then he just disappears along the way it's such a uh, it, it's crazy also in the fact that there's a picture of him walking out into the desert in the in the 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 actual album and the song itself talks about a man being abducted basically yeah it's, it's much. it is a beautiful album though I, I highly urge people to listen to it's nice and short too so it's it's not exactly a long album it's you know uh, mid 60s songs weren't exactly uh this type of music wasn't exactly like epic long songs they're like two and a half minutes to three minutes long and um especially ufo it's really great really beautiful Mm-hmm. Rob, had you come across anything that had suggested uh, why Jim was so interested in UFO culture, like pre-recording the song? Had he had any incidents or, you know, had he lived through uh, any kind of like paranormal experience that may have better informed the way in which he wrote this, you know, the first album? Um, he never really had any kind of experience, but uh, his in, in the liner notes to the album, his wife talked about how they were kind of uh, obsessed with uh, Edgar Casey. And, and, uh, they would have conversations about, you know, uh, people on uh, aliens on other planets and stuff like that. So I think that's kind of where it came from. So he did have a mild interest in, in the paranormal in some way. And, uh, a little bit. Yeah. Edgar Casey's somebody we've kind of brought up, uh, on occasion, not too much though, because he's like the modern day Nostradamus. We like to bring up Nostradamus a lot. Yeah, Rod Nostradamus, the best Nostradamus. Rod Stradamus. Yes. (laughs) I find Jim Sullivan's tale so fascinating because, yeah, it's it's really hard to speculate on someone's mindset, uh, you know, especially someone who's, like, disappeared and has been gone for decades. So it's kind of hard to say where he was at, you know, very much pre-disappearance. But a lot of this lines up in such a way that it's, like, very odd in the way that it unfolded, right? And like you were saying, like, they searched for the body, uh, in that kind of like perimeter uh, around where the car was, and just there's nothing there. Like, who picked him up? Where did the body go? Yeah, exactly. There, there are no answers, and there's there. You're never gonna get answers to to this. So it's like it's it's gonna be that foreboding legend that lives on and 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 drives that music because like. You know, one guy stumbled stumbled across it on a on a blog and 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 found you know reason to go look for this legend, which is 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 as as amazing because that's essentially 
how Robert Johnson was discovered is that people went and looked for his legend. So I, I, I've always loved how those two stories mirror each other almost. And, and like, at least in this one, we have something a little more definitive, even if we don't know what happened to Jim Sullivan and we'll never know. Yeah. He was more in a mon- in the modern day. So there's a lot more, uh, documentation there. Uh, how, this would have made a really good Unsolved Mysteries episode. Yeah, it, it would have. I agree. And I don't think there ever was. I, I, I'd never heard of this before you actually brought it up for this episode. So, um, But looking into it, it was utterly fascinating. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people really knew. Part of what really drove Matt Sullivan is not just the article on waxidermy it was the comments because there was a comment left by i want to say it was like jim's nephew on there and uh it's still on there and you you could read it and it and he basically talks about like oh yeah I'm the, like my uncle he was supposedly abducted by a ufo we all think he just kind of got murdered so it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's the thing it's like sometimes it's that little statement that just drives you on that journey. And, and like, I, I love it so much. And like, like there are certain, there are other musicians that, you know, have, have come to the forefront because of that. There's, uh, there's a guy that I look at as the antithesis of Robert Johnson. His name was Washington Phillips. And in the early 1900s, he was playing this. It was only for a short period of time. But he played this like gospel music and this amazing gospel music, and he actually played it with his own instrument that he created, and he called it a manzarine. And nobody knows what the heck it is, but it, it had this really amazing tone. Um, I, I urge all to go check out uh, if you if you really enjoy you know Robert Johnson's music and and you think you'd enjoy Jim Sullivan, go check out Washington Phillips because that, that music is equally as amazing. And they now have, uh, they put it out, I, I think a couple of years ago, this nice little... Um, I think it's like a one or two disc collection, but it's also got a really extensive booklet that dives into his story. So, uh, yeah, check that out. It's yeah. called uh, Washington Phillips and his Manzarine Dream. The name Washington Phillips kind of sounds like a man who owns a briefcase. Like, <laughs> I, for some reason in my mind, I just I picture a dude with a briefcase and inside of it is an amazing wait, wait, instrument. Wait, wait, wait. I think we just solved the Summerton Man case. His name is Washington Phillips. <laughs> well, folks, we can close this one yeah. up. This has been episode 38 of the Double Density Podcast. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, though, like you said, the Genetis uh, were possibly responsible for his murder. Are they related to Marty? <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm not then, sure. Maybe they were a rocker. I'm yeah, exactly. Sure. And then the, he felt bad, so he went on to found the rockers. Yeah, it may be, man. <laughs> and then he was in turn call. murdered by Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Here's a completely unfounded theory, right? Okay, so Jim Sullivan wasn't abducted. He was taken back because Jim Sullivan was a star child brought to the earth to release this music and then leave. Huh. Oh, God damn. That is great. That is a, that is that a theory. Is, that is fantastic. Yeah, a theory fit for Stephen Greer. Uh- <laughs>
Listen, it's way better than Stan Romanek's story. Oh, man. Hey, firstly, no, you're right. There's no way I'm going to defend that man. No, there's absolutely no way. So. Oh, Stan. That song by that song is uh, about him, right? The Eminem song? Dad Joke Stravaganza here tonight on yeah. the Double Density Podcast. Oh, yeah. Soon to be the single-hosted Double Density oh. Podcast. Well, yeah, Rob does a single-hosted show. You can do it, too. There, no, I was referring to you doing dad jokes for oh, now and okay. calling it a day. We'll each have our own podcast. Yeah, it'll be <laughs> it'll to uh, compare it to anything. It'll be exactly like the opening sequences to a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, yeah, he'll he'll copy and paste in audience laughter sound effects. Yeah, at will. Yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Those aliens. Um, so and those probes. What's up with the probes? Yeah, and there's some weird bass line, uh, some bass line in there, you know, some funky You guys line. ever been to Area 51? Who here has been for, to Area 51? Let's see, show of hands here. Okay, one and two and die. What a weird place for like 50 <laughs> minutes straight. What? What is a crop circle anyways? What about Area 1 to 50? <laughs> yes, yes, we had, that you have a new career. All right. You have yeah, a new career. let your wife know that you're quitting your job. <laughs> Canada's only paranormal comic, Angelo Fiorentino. Yeah. Ghosts, eh? Uh, Ghosts. Huh. <laughs> uh, you'd have to throw in some apple jokes, too, you know, just just to round it out a little bit. But I could see it. I could totally see but it. But really awkward paranormal, like, like, you know, like, do you guys know it's indestructible at its core? An apple computer or like something <laughs> stupid like that. <laughs> just on and on yeah like it, it, i think you're right rob it would have to be like half apple jokes and like half like like really dad paranormal jokes i would ha- i would show up um to one of these to one of these uh performances and i would heckle them with like really um bad apple facts you know i'd just be saying like tim cook's gonna bankrupt them within 10 years and stuff (laughs) like that holding up your htc phone oh yeah Yeah. your 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 comments would have to be printed on dot matrix like (laughs) early 90s style printer paper as you're waving them around frantically yeah so my my kids were drawing on that type of paper the other day and wondering why there were funny little holes on the side and what did you tell them did you explain the truth or did you lie i explained it We'll go through a printer. There's a little wheel that held the little holes, and they thought it was bizarre. Actually, I, I at my job, I use a printer still like that. Um, where I work, uh, we get uh, clothing for the residents that live there, and uh, we have to label it. So the printer that we have is... Uh, it's gotta be from like 1992 and the computer is probably from like 95. Cause I think it's, I think it's running windows 95 on it. So, um, yeah, dude, that's prime solitaire right there. It yeah. is prime solitaire. Uh, and minesweeper. Yeah. The problem is easily too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, if it was connected to the internet, but, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get cool stuff like that. Angelo, I don't get the internet. Oh, at work, at least. So um, the next time I get a text from you complaining about the work Wi-Fi, Angelo, just think about Rob for a second. Oh, man. Okay? Yeah, I was complaining about the work Wi-Fi today. Our, our Wi-Fi, we're like a major university and our Wi-Fi is garbage. Stop trying to load everything in 4K, I think is like the first thing you need to do. <laughs> I think I was hitting like 0.25 uh, megabits per second today. It was, it was pretty sad. Sick down speed, bro. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I almost took a screenshot and sent it to you, Brian. So I wanted to talk about like two sort of really interesting um, music and occult things. So uh, you guys obviously know about Elvis Presley, right? He's a singer. Yeah, correct. He's got he he's test. got gyrating hips. <laughs> correct. And he would occasionally uh, leave the building. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I have nothing left to say on this podcast. I'm leaving. <laughs> um. So I guess you guys must. Oh, you might be aware of the fact that uh, Elvis had a twin, right? Yes. A conjoined twin right. that he kept in his armpit. <laughs> that is one step further than i wanted to take it but okay um so elvis obviously uh you know a great man unto himself but he was born on january 8th 1936 and uh 1935 sorry and uh his twin brother jesse uh was uh had died it was stillborn died during birth um and Another interesting thing is I read uh, I've read a couple of Elvis biographies where he's been quoted as talking about how he feels that his brother's spirit and soul live within him, and he he believes a lot of his talent is derived from his uh, dead twin brother and how they've pooled their talents in order for him to be successful. And I thought that was sort of very interesting the idea of uh, combining soul forces in order uh, to become uh, a more proficient person. Yeah, I, and it's also kind of uh, relates to people who have um, uh, transplants, uh, transplanted organs from other people, and uh, there's the stories of how they take up the skills of those people that the, that they got the organs from. I've I've always found that fascinating. Yeah, it's a, there are a lot of like uh, interesting tales in terms of people who've ended up with like uh, I don't want to say new, but like uh, and uh, recycled is a weird word to use when you want to talk about organs, but uh, uh, newly grafted organs uh, to the body and something they can do things that they couldn't do before, or have this sense or uh, a set of skills they didn't necessarily have beforehand. And I think that's really interesting, and I think that like Elvis's uh, twin's death, I think, is a really interesting prompt for that uh, sort of thing too. That's actually a really good point. There are whole horror movies based on the fact of people getting organs and then using those skills to murder people. Or like that, what was that uh, Jessica Alba movie where she got the eyes? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, that was a that was a weird one. Oh, no, it wasn't Idle Hands. That was a different movie. Yeah, no, the it was a hand that just did bad things. Yeah, Idle yeah. Hands, but that was like Jessica Alba's first movie, I think. Um, but the main thing I wanted to talk about this week, actually, is the concept of backmasking, right? So the idea that um, something said forward uh, when played backwards uh, contains an entirely new meaning. And I know, Angela, you were saying that your favorite band growing up was the Beatles, right? So on the track Revolution Number no. 9, Turn Me On Dead Man. Number 9, number 9, number 9, number 9, turn me on, turn me on, turn me on, uh, Paul McCartney being dead a lot of rumors got started after uh, people started listening to that record backwards and realizing that perhaps that sentence existed there yeah well the replacement to Paul McCartney has done a really good job like he's still he, playing dude he's him. been keeping that legacy alive yeah, he has he has single handedly and uh, I, I give it I give it up to him I always loved like the the going down the total rabbit hole and the conspiracies like Oh look! Look on the cover of Abbey Road. He's not wearing any shoes. He's or a that, dead man. <laughs> yeah, or he's floating on the Sgt. Pepper's album in the inside. Yeah. So he's because his legs are up, so he's floating. Ooh, scary. Yeah, I feel like this is a fun kind of hoax that existed in a time where it's really hard to dispel these. Like you couldn't just call up like Apple Records and be like, "Hey, 
is Paul McCartney actually Paul McCartney? Because, you know, during that time, you couldn't do that. Now, it's a lot easier with the internet to sort of debunk a lot of this, but I think it's almost like a, a funnish sort of hoax because, like, who's it really affecting, you know, to think that maybe Paul got replaced? Well, and, and the more recent one is uh, Avril Lavigne being replaced. Right. That's a really fun one, too. And, like, the amount of people who've added uh, Madden, like, circles to pictures is insane. What's the Avril one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Oh yeah, what's her name? Melissa is the correct is the new one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah, and they're like, look at her nose. I did. I didn't even know that this was a thing. Though, mostly because like we we don't get Avril Lavigne news down in the states anymore. <laughs> oh no, she's she's Canada's pop princess. Oh, is she? No. Is she? I thought that was Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh, maybe. I don't no, know. Yeah, I think Carly Rae Jepsen has t- definitely usurped her uh, up into you know. This she is definitely a princess. I I would agree. That last this sounds like album a f- was fantastic. A unanimous actually. decision. Yeah, yeah. Unanimous decision. And then after that, you know, there's Stairway to Heaven, right? If you play Stairway, a section of Stairway backwards, it's you know, it's my sweet Satan. Yes. Oh, I will sing because I live with Satan. Yeah, which actually I don't if I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but it doesn't sound like that at all, right? So, no, it sounds no. how you want it to sound, pretty much. Right. So, I also want to talk about a man named David John Oates. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. I am not. He's um, from Holland Oates, right? <laughs> He's Holland <laughs> in the Holland Oates. Yes. Yeah. So David John Oates is most famous in the paranormal realm for reverse speech. So the dude would go on to like late night talk shows and play snippets of famous people today. So politicians, like for example, he was really big on backmasking Bill Clinton and trying to figure out his agenda, um, and then doing that to celebrities in tune. And he claimed to be able to derive hidden meaning from speech. And there are a bunch of examples on his website, which I'll link to in the show notes. But it's it's super interesting that like um, I'm going to use a word that Angela loves using when it comes to this kind of stuff, and that's pareidolia, right? So the idea of like. Uh, uh, you hear what you want to hear. You're making it up as you go along. Yeah, uh, like it's uh, <laughs> it's it's basic. Like, what makes people think that you you can uh, discern their agenda just by like I, doing that? It's so ridiculous. Even even to think about it, because like I I would much rather uh, look to a behaviorist who like looks at body language and stuff like that than backmasking. It's how like, do you decide to do this? Right. Well, that's the whole thing too, right? It's like the process of it. Like you sit down and you first learn it backwards and then you try to learn it forwards and try to make it fit the context of the song. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. No. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's a, yeah, it's no, it makes no sense at all. I mean, unfortunately, in some cases, uh, backmasking has been... Uh, the cause, quote unquote, of uh, a couple of deaths, like, uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, Judas Priest uh, were sued um, because two men in Nevada uh, spent the night drinking and then doing drugs and then listening to their album Stained Class and then deciding that they had heard uh, satanic lyrics. One of them uh, killed themselves and then uh, his friend uh, maimed himself and lived for another couple of years, which is how they figured out what they were up to in the night in question. And, you know, it's like this weird thing where the judge had to sit there and <laughs> judge whether or not backmasking actually existed and if so uh, was it protected speech what was it right so it's kind of like this really uh, sad kind of asterisk to a lot of the the funnier sides of backmasking well yeah because the, the drugs and the heavy drinking and insanity had nothing to do with it 
No, it clearly was the music, dude. We all know this. It's always the music. It's always the music or the comic books or the video games. Listen, the- listen. I would believe music a little bit more. You want to know why? That stuff makes you move. You get out on the dance floor that you don't even belong on because you you can't even move. But you know what? That music brings you out there, man. I've been there. Of course, I've been like five or six beers into it, but that's okay. That's okay. That's what the music does. It draws you out there. So uh, what? So what gets you to the dance floor? <laughs> um, I I would say about f- f- I'm like five or six beers in. You throw on some classic rock. I'm gonna go out there and do the '70s white guy dance with some thumbs going on, and it's <laughs> it's amazing. Let me well, tell you. You just reminded me of something. So when. When my friends and I uh, would go watch uh, cover bands or live bands, whatever, there would always be this one dude in front of the band just dancing, like you described, and he was always known as the rock and roll dude for that for that uh, concert. And there was would it always be the same it, guy. Or? It was never the same guy. It was always okay. a different guy, but there would be the rock and roll dude for that show. A few times it was for the, the same longest guy. time in Montreal when I went to shows, there was this one guy who was always in a wife beater and he looked like Eugene Levy. <laughs> and I, for years, I had seen him at shows and then I hadn't seen them. And in 2014, I went to a rock festival a couple hours away from here. And my friend and I were walking down the street and she had also, you know, we'd been to many shows together and she had seen him. And, you know, it had been like four or five years since we'd seen him. And suddenly he's on the street and it was really weird to see him years later uh, still in a wife beater enjoying the rock show. So I kind of like, I respect that man. He probably wasn't all there, but I kind of respect that. Well, he was busy uh, filming uh, episodes, uh, sorry, sequels to American Pie. Of course, you gotta. <laughs> I also quickly wanted to touch on um, uh, satanic bands, I guess. like So like examples like uh, Black Sabbath, like everyone in Sabbath wore crosses. Uh, so it was the idea of the image of uh, Satanism, like, you know, like members of Slayer, like the singer Tom Rea is a self-described Christian. Um, and yet the imagery that the band conjures up is definitely not that, but it's got this weird cascading effect where uh, bands like Burzum uh, and Hanson brothers. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, obviously <laughs> and mayhem, but they actually undertook things like burning churches, right? In Norway and like killing each other. Like the guy from Burzum went to prison for our f- for killing the good, uh, you know, uh, whose name was Euronymous. You know, so it's just, it's just like this really weird thing. You're honest, like it's like a Bible story. Oh, uh, dude, it dude, kind of, like, it kind of is, you know, because it's the emergence of uh, black metal. So <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Like if you wanna, if you wanna read about really like uh, intense people in their beliefs tied to music, black metal, especially its beginnings in Norway, is a definitely a great place to start. So every once in a while, Brian will send me a, a text message or a, or whatever saying. You got to listen to this. And I listened to it and it's the craziest like death metal. And I'm like, Brian, I do not like this. I don't, I can't get into it. And then every once in a while, there's like a little hidden gem in there and I do enjoy it. But uh, lots of hits for the, sorry, lots of misses for the occasional hit. Yeah, but I do that on purpose, right? So you, you try to make it. He, he does that to get you out of your comfort zone and to, you know, jar your life. Yeah, but I have to say Brian's introduced me to some great stuff in the past couple of years, uh, especially since uh, the emergence of Apple Music in my life where I can just listen to whatever. Uh, One of those bands being Animals as Leaders. It's amazing stuff. I don't know if you've listened to that, Rob. It's pretty great. Yes, yes, I have. I have indeed listened and it is fantastic. 
you can't even believe that that guy's playing guitar. So uh, sort of like you were touching on things before about um, uh, moral panic in the 80s. And I found a YouTube channel that just uploads VHS rips of like um, different church and Christian groups who have created moral panic videos. So I was watching one the other night about how a man was a reformed dungeon master. And he was like, yeah, it really sucks you in. I used to play six days a week. All they wanted to do was play and to role play. And suddenly I was shaking hands with Satan. <laughs> that's, that's what happens when you play Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> It's always the craziest thing. And it's like they talk about rock music and like comic books and like this really weird kind of like uh, way in which they sort of describe all of these things. And suddenly it's like the doorway, like a literal doorway to Satan, which I thought was a really interesting way of of talking about the things. And like one of the recurring themes is the idea of like um, I use this term sort of like in a way to encapsulate, but like metal light bands like Motley Crue in the 80s who had Shout Out the Devil and they had long hair. And this has come up in a couple of these like uh, VHS rips that I've been watching um, as a source of like pure Satanism, which if you look at this band, you're like, there's no way that these guys are ever shaking hands with the devil. No. And the, the thing with the 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 whole Dungeons and Dragons thing, the, the Christian groups should love that because it keeps the, those, those people celibate. <laughs> wow all right well you just alienated like half our listener base so thank you for that it is joke <laughs> maybe you'll want to cut that out no i'm gonna leave no it. i think i think, uh... I think so uh i think you need to put angelo's contact information out there now <laughs> they know where to find me i have his address too to the highest bidder i shall give everyone his address it's so, a trope I'm just throw it's a common trope it's funny but I mean, like, it is, but it also, like, if for its time, you're probably more right than now, right, where geek culture is a little more no, absolutely in terms now. of, like, yeah, no. activities. Geeks are now the cool people. The geeks have inherited the earth. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bazinga. Exactly. See? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those are actual geeks, though. Those are pretend geeks. The, oh, the, yeah, of course. You know, like, the, those are the ones you see through. That's why I don't... I, I watched The Big Bang Theory for maybe the first five seasons, and then I'm like... This is kind of insulting, especially to Indian people. And also, um, these people aren't really geeks, like, to the extent that they are made out to be on that show. I read this really great article about, I I think it, I'll try and find it, but it was, it had come out during the first couple of seasons. And this was a girl who uh, self-described herself as a geek or a woman. And she's saying, I, I can't watch the show because they don't laugh with geeks. They're laughing at geeks. And I thought this was really interesting. She gave a lot of, of different examples of like how um, the canned audience laughter worked against whatever was going on in the situation. I thought it was super fascinating. Well, yeah, yeah. they, the, the writers are writing it that the regular person is coming from Penny's point of view, not their point of view. Right, right. Anti-intellectualism right there. Exactly. We don't need any more of that. <laughs> no, we don't need any Chuck Lorre productions anymore. Well, we're all very... Yeah, we have like hundreds and hundreds of episodes of what he's done. We're done with it. We're all very stable geniuses on our end here. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I'm um, like really smart, Angelo. Yeah, totally. Now, you see, uh, I think it was Marie Mayhew, she was uh, talking on Twitter. She sent out a tweet about being a stable genius being her rap name. And I'm like, <laughs> that would be, that is the perfect rap name for anybody. Because my rap name is Chubby Drinks, and that is not, Ooh. it's not. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Did you have the G.I. Joe's back in the day? Like the I did, really yes. S- the really small three. Yeah, yeah. Three and a half. Three and a, yeah, three and a quarter, yeah. You, you, you remember the cards on the back that gave you their stats? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. I made one for chubby drinks. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Is it available? Can you send that to us? Um, I'll see if I can find it, and I, if I can, I will. <laughs> please faithfully recreate it. Like spend hours and hours doing this for us, please. 
Um, it was, uh, I remember I, I said something like, uh, Chubby Drinks was constantly subjected to rap battles with his father in his youth. <laughs> so, Rob. Yeah. Yeah. Our Strange Guys, what can we expect in the coming months? Well, you can expect some, uh... Uh, some really old UFO sightings. You're going to get a really extensive deep dive on the Roswell incident. Uh, that's probably going to be a two or three parter. Um, that's a little known incident that a lot of people have not heard of. So it's, it's uh, yeah. It? How, how do you spell it? Um, it's R U S W E L L. I think I'm on it guys. I'm on it. <laughs> oh wait, there was a documentary about that a few years ago that ran for a few years about the, those kids that the, the landed in Roswell. <laughs> yeah yeah i remember that it was on uh the wv back in yeah. the day yeah wasn't that the movie mac and me um i think that was a spinoff i think that was a spinoff but uh after that we're gonna be getting into um there's gonna be a lot of crashes happening uh but like i say in the in the trailer and um what i think it was uh it was jen taylor she she was retweeting it and she quoted me he's like best line in the thing uh uh <laughs> these things keep crashing what the hell <laughs> so uh there'll be some crashes and um uh at a certain point i'll get into ce4 kind of experiences um uh, do an episode there. I'm not. I'm not going to do too many because I'll probably freak myself out by doing too many <laughs> abduction stories. Uh, and then owls everywhere. Oh my god! Don't no no. <laughs> it, my my wife likes owls, and there's like plastic owls and wooden owls, and like there's an owl sensey staring at me right now. Oh man! It, yeah, it's it's terrifying. Um, so it, there's going to be a wide variety of stuff coming down the pike but uh yeah look forward to that roswell because i'm gonna get into it it's it's gonna be we're getting down to the minute the hour this practically the seconds all of it i'm pretty excited to hear it and then once again where can we find you on the internet uh you can find me you can find our strange skies on facebook twitter instagram search for our strange skies it'll pop up we have a Facebook group. It's called In Gray We Trust, a group for those that look up into our strange skies. There's a lot of good UFO stuff over there. Uh, come join us. Email ourstrangeskies at gmail.com. And also, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, my personal Twitter page is at your UFO guy, at uh, Y E R UFO guy. Perfect. On our end, you can hit us up at facebook.com slash double density podcast on Twitter, double underscore density. Same thing on Instagram at double density podcast. You can also head over to double density.net for all of our uh, new and exciting episodes as well as a ton of content. Yeah, you'll find these uh, all of Rob links as well in our show notes for this episode. And uh, that'll be available to everyone next week or this week or just disregard that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting tired. It sounds like you have a really hard grasp of of the concept of time. It's hard because we record these like a week before the, like it's it's coming out next week but we're recording it right now. It's very confusing. Tomorrow's episode 37 that comes out. He he can't handle time. We need to get him a calendar. Oh god. <laughs> Rob, it's been a pleasure having you on board for this. Uh this is probably the rambliest 
uh, episode we've had to date. It's going to be a bit of a challenge to edit, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you for having me on. Uh, it's always great to talk with you guys uh, about whatever, you know, it's so fun. And apparently the offer still stands if you want to come to Canada to visit the Apple store and get uh, guitar lessons from an older man. <laughs> uh, you're totally available to do that. Maybe, maybe when it's warmer, okay? That'll be that'll be better. Oh, I like how now you've added stipulations. <laughs> it's very cold. Don't come during the winter months. Oh, wait, as if you don't wait. Know how, cold, how cold is it in Canada right now? It's warm, actually, right now. It's, it's uh, warm this it's... week, yeah. But it was, uh, it was between minus 32 and minus 37 Fahrenheit last week. Listen, my hometown got to minus 52. Don't even... I saw that. I saw that. That's bonkers. <laughs> It is bonkers, but uh, tech, my hometown kind of competes with like Minnesota for like coldest uh, day of of the week at, at certain times. So, um, but I mean, we celebrate it because we have a winter carnival. So, and that's coming up next month. So, if you want to come down and see uh, an ice palace and 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 take part in a whole bunch of fun stuff, come on down to Saranac Lake. Uh, We're really selling us here. Are you part of the tourism bureau? No, I'm not. But uh, I'm gonna hit them up. They're gonna pay me. There you go. Yeah, they should sponsor your podcast. They should. They should. There we go. And once again, we're all uh, both Double Density and our Strange Guys are always open to sponsorship opportunities. Oh, always, always. Big and small. We love checks. Canadian, American, we'll take it all. Yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin. Um, I will take my American money and spend it in Canada because it it stretches. It 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 goes along. Goes a long way. It does. There you go. Yeah. You can pay Angelo in, in, in quarters for his lessons. <laughs> Lots of quarters. <laughs> he may even sell you his Bazinga shirt. Nope. Truth be told, I used to have a Bazinga shirt. Oh, well, Whoa. there we go. All the right. truth is out well, there. Yeah. Oh, shoot. That's two of you. I'm in the minority here. I feel like I've painted myself into a corner. Um, no, I think you're the better of us all. <laughs> yes. I have not worn that Bazinga shirt. My wife, I think I'd worn it to like several years ago. She's like, why are you wearing that? I, I'd also lost a lot of weight since that time. So, uh, it, oh, is it the gains and the creatine? The great, yes. The Brian and I have been chatting about uh, creatine lately, even though I don't take any. But uh, he says he doesn't, but I think he might. I think anything's on the table here. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> th th that discussion happened on last week's episode, which you haven't heard. Looking yet, forward Rob. to that. Uh, looking forward to that mid-April roid rage. <laughs> oh God! Really, just really looking forward to that. Yeah, oh God! A lot of fun. And on this high note, this has been episode 38 of the Double Density Podcast. Tune in next week as we dissect the science of crop circles. Are they just drunk farmers or is it an organized extraterrestrial operation? Rob, Angela, it's been a pleasure. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Bazinga shirt.